Great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, as Helen said, my name is Dan. I'm part of the leadership team here at the church. And uh, this, this morning, um, it's a strange message for what we call a, a Vision Sunday, because I, I want to talk about the, the epidemic of loneliness. It's a really motivating message. <laughs> We're going to next week start on the, the book of James and, and throughout uh, the, the spring term up to Easter, we're going to be walking through the book of James and uh, it's going to be a really great series. But um, towards the end of 2021, uh, I, I felt God start to stare something in me around this whole area of loneliness. Uh, I came across a, a book that was, was written by a, an, an author in America called Susan Metz, and she, she wrote the book. It was called The Loneliness Epidemic, and she, she's a researcher. She's done extensive research in, in the United States of America, and um, what she defined uh, loneliness as was the, the distress someone feels when their social connections don't meet their need for emotional intimacy. The distress someone feels when their social connections don't meet their need for emotional intimacy. Loneliness is a lack of connection. For some people, that might be a moment that they feel when they, they, they're used to, oh, I like that voice, I like deeper. Um, the, 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 the moment they feel when they're used to being around people and they're suddenly alone, but for others, it might be the other end of the spectrum and there's loneliness they feel when they're, because they're by themselves all of the time. Loneliness creates in us this desire for connection, this desire for fellowship. We want people we can call friends. And the issue is that right now for so many of us in society, but also probably in the church, those desires for fellowship are being unmet. We live in a lonely world. In this research that Susan Metz did, she found that pre-pandemic, one-third of U.S. adults reported that they felt lonely at least some of the day, and over half felt lonely at least once a week. What Susan Metz found uh, was that when we think of loneliness, we often think of, we have a particular profile in mind. Often it was someone who was elderly, uh, she found them slightly unattractive, and uh, someone who is isolated. That's what we have in mind when we think of someone who is lonely. But in her research, what she found was actually the, the two groups of people who were most lonely were young adults and singles. And she found that the issue of loneliness in these groups had got significantly worse during the pandemic. 39% of single people say they experience daily or constant loneliness. To bring it closer to home, in the UK, 45% of adults describe themselves as sometimes or often feeling lonely. That equates to 25 million people experiencing loneliness right now in our country. Despite having more social social interactions than ever, we have this loneliness epidemic. And it creates this corporate social sickness. It goes far beyond just someone sat at home feeling bad for themselves, but it directly affects over half of our nation, and it's harming our bodies, our minds, and our souls. Loneliness increases the the likelihood of mortality by 26%. Loneliness is associated with increased risk of developing coronary heart disease and stroke. 
Loneliness puts individuals at greater risk of cognitive decline and dementia. Lonely individuals are more prone to depression. Loneliness and social interaction, low social interaction are predictive of suicide in older age. Loneliness is literally killing us. Why does that matter? What has that got to do with the church? As a church, we are to preach the gospel. We want to see lives changed as people encounter Jesus, as their eternity is changed forever. Jesus say, but Jesus says in Matthew 25, from verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the, one of the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus cares about the whole person. This is not social care, this is the heart of the gospel. That we show people Jesus through our actions, and the gospel is always about seeing complete transformation, including our minds and our bodies. As a church, we have this call on us, and we, we, our vision comes from the passages of Isaiah 61, and Phil read them out last week. Uh, but it says in verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We're never called to be a holy huddle, surviving until Jesus returns. No, we have been sent, we have been released into the city to change the city. To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to comfort those who mourn. So when we see issues like loneliness, it breaks our hearts. We refuse to accept that people are going to die alone early. We refuse to accept the mental health issues that, that loneliness causes. When we see loneliness, we run and embrace it. We run and embrace those in need. Because that is the heart of the gospel. And our call as a church is to see people transformed as they encounter Jesus. John Clark, who leads uh, Hull Vineyard Church, uh, he, he was with us in May uh, of last year, and he shared a prophetic word with us about Jubilee being a place of shelter for the city. Uh, and I just want us to uh, watch this really short clip just to remind us of this prophetic word that he brought. Thanks, guys. shelter for people in the storm. 
And as part of that, which I want to speak into for a moment, because there are moments in people's lives that you're going to help people process, and you're going to reach people in our city where it is literally snatching them for a season or for a moment to give them shelter before maybe even some of them pass away. That they know love and they know acceptance from God and from the church, even though they're a mess. They're going to come and find in you a shelter from the storms of life, even if it's for a month or six months or for a year. For some people, a lot longer. But the Lord has also called you as a church to be a shelter in other places and other locations. And just hearing a little bit just now about um, the church plants. And uh, I, I know this is a, a, a church which multiplies itself with church planting. And that can be really painful. And that can be often, uh, you have to process grief as a church as you, uh, as you say goodbye to other cherished family members in their life of the church. But I believe it's a unique calling upon this house that you're called to go and actually set up shelters in other locations for people to meet Christ. And that means that you'll have many, and it's a kingdom call. This isn't like a safe, comfortable church call. This isn't like about let's build the church with numbers so much that we're just all nice, like in this nice, comfortable bubble. We're not called to live in a bubble. We're called to live in a battle. And part of that is a kingdom battle, and the kingdom is an eternal thing. And so you're literally reaching people for a season for the sake of eternity. And I want you to have that perspective, have that lens, if this is of the Lord, where you recognize that actually we're going to be rescuing people and giving them shelter for a season. We're also going to be planting and multiplying locations in different geographical locations in the city of Hull and in the nations of the world which is going to go as a kingdom word to provide shelter for people. And I believe you're marked by this. You're marked as a church to give shelter. And at the heart of this is for people who are marginalized, who have suffered injustice. It's to show compassion and mercy to the poor. And you're marked by this. This is like a unique anointing upon this house to be a shelter for our community and for the communities of the world. As I've reflected and, and, and prayed over this word, I, I really feel that providing shelter is a key part of what we will do over the next 12 months. I, I felt like the year 2022 would be a year of healing, that this would be people healing from the events of the pandemic, but I felt this was deeper and it involved healing for us as a, those inside of the church and those outside of the church. And one of the major areas that I believe needs healing is those wounds of loneliness. That being a refuge means creating space and spaces where people can find refuge, shelter, the time and the support to heal. You see, the answer is not that we aim to reduce loneliness. It needs something deeper. The system is broken. We don't need a plaster we need transformation. We need to create space where people can belong. 
that they can call home where real friendships are developed, where the love of Jesus is shared in community, where they experience hospitality. And and as we walk with them through life, we share Jesus with them. They can experience the healing and the transformation that only Jesus brings. It says in Psalm 139 that each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, made in the image of God and made to be in relationship with him. And what we are to do is to create space for people to encounter Jesus and be transformed. The world is hurting. Our city needs healing. And yet we know, because we have experienced it ourselves, that our souls have amazing capacity for recovery when we find our home in God and when we receive his grace. And what I'm talking about is not groundbreaking. It's no new strategy. This is what the early church was. It's what churches should always be. In Acts 2 from 42, it says of the early church, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What marked the early church, what made them attractive to the community to the outside was the community, this word uh, koinonia, uh, which is more than just socializing. It was sharing of life. It was sharing of resources, practical needs. It speaks of a responsibility to one another and to community. They devoted themselves to teaching. There was doctrine and there was substance to who they were, but it was connected to community. They recognized that God has reconciled himself to them, that they could be in relationship with God again, but it also meant that because of the cross, we are reconciled to one another. We have been saved by the grace of God through the work of Jesus, and we have been added into a family. What we do as a family and who we are as a family really matters. So what does it look like to create a community that welcomes people in? It gives them a space to belong and to call home, to be that refuge, that shelter where they can receive healing. And I want to talk for the rest of this morning on on two areas that I would love us to excel in this year. And firstly, they are authentic community. And secondly, inconvenient hospitality. So firstly, authentic community. 1 John 3 verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. The marker here in this passage for our salvation is our love for one another. If we want the lonely and the broken and the hurting to find a home, then we must present an alternative to their current reality, which is compelling. To love one another in a way that makes people want to be part of us. Yes, we're going to rub each other up the wrong way. But we have to hold short accounts. We have to be quick to ask for forgiveness. We have to be outrageously gracious with one another. Leading the church during a pandemic hasn't always been the easiest. 
But one of the challenges that I have loved is the fact that in our community, we have such a variety of approaches and reactions to the pandemic. And the reason I love that is because it shows we're diverse. It shows that, that we, we can have different views and we can have different experiences, and yet when we come together, we are united because of Christ. Right now, there's so much going on in our world that can divide us. The potential for division is huge. Just, if you want to know that, just um, maybe type on Facebook this afternoon. Maybe just ask the question, should Christians have the vaccine? (laughs) Watch it. Watch it go. You know what? Let's have different views on things. Let's honor one another. Let's celebrate our differences. And yet, let's remain united over the gospel. And part of authentic community is it needs physical presence. I'm so thankful for Zoom and YouTube and online church. These things have allowed us to keep connected at a time when we couldn't. They still do. I love the fact that I can have a meeting that doesn't need face-to-face, and within one minute of the meeting, I can be downstairs watching traffic cops on Channel 5. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that is all I do, man. Honestly, it is. Just ask, ask my wife. That's how I roll. I love that we can use technology to communicate. I wasn't meant to say that. I don't know what happened there, Rach. I'm sorry. Um, I love that we can share and communicate information really easily. I love that we can listen to worship from around the world. I love that I can listen to podcasts and I can listen to great preachers. There's no shortage of church content out there. The danger is, is that if church becomes about content, then it becomes a commodity. If church becomes about the best preachers, the best live feed, the teaching that hits your preference, even watching church at a time that is convenient for you, then it's not community. It's community that is what is most needed. I think we all, if you serve in church life, I think we all enjoyed serving a little less. I, I, I think we all enjoyed not having to travel maybe wearing your PJs to attend church. I know some of you did. (laughs) The problem is, the greatest growth in my life has not come from a chat feed. The greatest growth in my life has not become from listening to a sermon in bed or catching up on church just before life groups, I feel like I can talk about it. No, it's when I've been prayed for by a church member. It's when I've encountered the Holy Spirit. It's when I've seen that person who's really struggling, singing their heart out in worship. It's been when the Holy Spirit has moved and and God has spoken to us corporately. It's been when I've been in that difficult place and someone has come alongside me and encouraged me. It's been about the baptisms, the testimonies we've heard here. It's been about when I've preached and I've poured my heart out and then afterwards I feel discouraged and someone's just come alongside me and said, keep going. Got to shoot. 
I don't come equipped for crying. <laughs> Sorry. Please hear. Please just hear this. I know there are genuine reasons why people are not able to be physically present right now. I get that. I know Sundays are everything. I know there's reasons people are vulnerable. People, I know it all. I know it. And we're going to continue to stream online services because it enables those who are vulnerable, those who are working away, those who are ill to be present. My concern, please hear this if you're watching online today, my concern is not for those people. My concern is for the people who haven't regularly attended in two years. My concern is it's going to be really hard getting back into it. My concern is for those who use Sundays for other things and are happy to come once a month. My concern is for those who are happy catching up with content midweek as if it's a TV series that you've missed. You are not a consumer. You are a member of the family. And as we are present with one another, we find ourselves growing together. Discipleship happens in community. When Jesus wanted to equip and transform people, he created community. That's what he did with his 12 disciples. Being a disciple is not about knowledge. It is about relationship. Within our life groups and within our clusters, we are trying to create spaces for community and discipleship because they happen together. I've cried, so I might as well be honest. I got a little bit tired of people speaking of life groups as socials when we launched it in a negative way, as if somehow meals were less spiritual than Bible studies. As Christians, we like to categorize hospitality and friendship as something less serious and important than spiritual formation. But if we see this link Spiritual formation and discipleship are something that happens together. They're essential together. To be social without spirit, to be spiritual is to miss the mark. But equally, to have a desire for discipleship and not an equal desire to be in community, then it will always prove less effective. Community demands presence. If we're going to be a welcoming community to the city, then we need you in the room, at church on a Sunday, at your life group, at your cluster. Online church is a great way for people to find us. There are plenty of people here who have watched, first watched online, and then they've walked into the room. We use online church, and we will continue to use online church as a gateway into community. It is a great front door. It is a terrible living room. If you are new, you can tune out for a moment, permission granted. We need to make sure that we are welcoming to those who come in. I know it's difficult with masks, but you can still go and introduce yourself to someone. You can still stay two meters away. You can still exchange numbers and connect during the week. This is our home, and when people come in, we want them to feel welcome. We want them to see authentic community. And this leads me to our second focus, and that is inconvenient hospitality. I came across this term, an American pastor called Ben Windle used it, and I really loved it, inconvenient hospitality. Hospitality is what 
The first church that we read about in Acts, they were known for. It went way beyond our modern definition for hospitality, which is often actually entertaining. Hospitality was about opening our lives out to others, opening our hearts up to those in need. Hospitality is friendship to the stranger. It is kindness to the broken. Ben Windle says about hospitality, he says, true hospitality is inconvenient, not just on a practical level, but on an emotional level. I'm not sure true community begins until we are willing to be inconvenienced for our, uh, inconvenience ourselves for each other. If we're going to be a place of shelter, then it is going to demand a lot of us. People's lives are messy. Being a shelter will demand our time, it will demand our energy, it will demand our resource. We will, we will encounter those people who are completely blown away by community. They're completely blown away by our hospitality. They stick around, they encounter Jesus, they stand here and they, te- they give their testimony and we baptize them and we celebrate and we say, isn't that amazing? But for every one of those, we will find a ton of people who will come, they will take from us and they will leave the mess as they leave. If we have a mindset of what does church do for me, what do I gain from being here, then we will never be willing to be inconvenienced for those in need. We are contributors, not consumers. And so we instead need to ask, what difference can I make today? For those in the church who you know need support, for those people in your street or in your workplace, For those coming to church to access those activities that Sue shared about. We serve a God who laid his life down for us. And he offers us the chance to do the same for others. Part of this is serving in church. And I would ask you to consider how you're going to contribute in that area this year. But also, what does it look like for you to be inconvenienced for others throughout your week? Inconvenient hospitality also involves how we use this building. In some, of, some ways, this building is very inconvenient. Uh, it's a large building to staff. It's an old building to upkeep. Some days I do think about what it would have like to have a new build or just to hire a school. But I quickly remi- find myself being reminded of the incredible provision God gave us to buy this building in the pl- first place. The amazing location it is for reaching the city. The incredible things that we have seen God do here. The heritage that we build upon when we look at the, the stories from the Methodist church who first built this and what they have seen God do to advance the kingdom. And I look at the, the foundations we build upon and I am amazed that God would entrust this to us. This year marks 10 years since we moved in. And in the coming months, we're going to be doing things to mark this anniversary, to celebrate all that God has done. But now we look forward and we look to what God is calling us to. How can we use this space to extend a welcome to the city? How can we demonstrate hospitality that demands something of us and is inconvenient? After the last couple of years and during the last couple of years, we've begun to dream about how we can use this space to reach the city. And God began to give us a bigger vision about what it means for Jubilee Central, this building, to be the best community space in the city. That it is a space that we meet as church. 
It is a space where we run initiatives like Jubilee Life College and TLG and Big Issue and Whole Food Bank, and we support those in need in our city, and we are a shelter for those in need. But then it is also a place where people find belonging, where those experiencing the trials of life, those experiencing loneliness, come and find a community, a welcome, love that enables them to meet Jesus. We've been dreaming about how we make this building more welcoming, about refurbishing spaces so they are better for community groups and businesses to use. And the biggest plan is we're relaunching the, the Full View project, as we shared a few months ago, which is going to install a, a community space and a, a cafe in the front of our building. We're going to install uh, floor-to-ceiling windows on the ground floor so people can see into our building, so people know we are here. So it can be used for church events like Alpha, for socials in the local community. It can be used by community groups. It can be used during the week for people to come in, and it's going to be a great cafe space. And the aim is that we want to create a space that is a living room for the church throughout the whole week. We're a real community hub which enables us to welcome people into church, and it gives us the chance to invite people into community. It's a huge job. We're just at the starting points now of, of raising 250,000 for the cafe and over 200,000 for other works in the building. And we're going to be exploring lots of ways and lots of sources of how we're going to fund this. But part of this will come from you as church members. We're praying that the whole project will be funded and completed by the end of 2023. That's my faith target. Two years. And so that means we're going to have, over the next two years, we're going to have two of our gift days. And on the 6th of March this year, and then one a year later, we're going to be having a time where we ask church members to give towards this project, making these dreams become a reality. And we're going to be sharing more over the next few weeks, but I would love you right now and in the coming weeks to prayerfully consider how God is asking you to partner with this gift day. For some, it's going to mean giving a few pounds. For others, it might be choosing to give a monthly amount. But we're also praying for some large figures in this church, in local businesses, local people in the community, some large figures that will really help give this project momentum. We have this privilege of partnering with God in the work that he is doing in our city. As we embrace authentic community, as we embrace inconvenient hospitality, I believe we will create a space for the lonely in our city to find a home. Let us not look at the world in despair today. Let us look to our Savior, who loves our city and the people in it. And he desires to be in relationship with them. How many people are out there waiting for that invite? Desperate to know who this God is and waiting for someone to invite them in. Would you stand with me? God, would you? Lord, we, we just, we know you could do it without us and yet you choose to use us. And so Lord, right now I ask, would you use Jubilee to be a place of shelter for the hurting? Would you use Jubilee to be a refuge for the broken? Would 
You used Jubilee to be a place where people could call home. Would they find a community that they can belong to? A place where they can encounter the transforming power of the cross. And Lord, when we say, would you use Jubilee? What we're really saying is, would you use us? Would you use us this week to advance your gospel? To take your kingdom into those places? Would you use this building to be a welcome to the city? But would you use each of us in the places we go, the people we see, the conversations we're in? Would you, would you give us opportunity to advance your kingdom? And amongst us, Lord, would you create in us such a deep desire for authentic community that we are willing to go above and beyond for each other? And would you create in us a heart of inconvenient hospitality where we lay down our lives for the needs of others? In Jesus' name.